Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. I once had a dear friend who had died, and we, uh, Laney and I, had been invited to his funeral. We wanted to pay our respects to, to his family and to his wife and the people that loved him. It was a guy that I knew back in the old Adam days, all right? And all of my friends there who I knew would be there were from the old Adam days, the old me days. I had not seen these people for some time. I had not seen them maybe for definitely for at least six years, probably more like eight years. And so I was a little bit nervous. How would I be received by my friends? These people were my closest, most intimate um, um, confidants in many ways. And I told Elaine, I said, I don't know how this is going to go. And so we showed up and I walked in and with a little sense of hope, I thought maybe, just maybe, they're going to reach their arms out and say, Brother, where have you been? We missed you so much. That's indeed not what happened. I walked in and... No one said anything to me. No one. These are best friends. These are people who I went through life and death situations. These are people who I heard their cries. I heard their deepest heart. We spent every day together. Nothing. Not one thing. And I told Elaine, I said, well, I guess this is the way it is. And then one person came up. A person who we frequently in the group would make, I hate to say, the butt of the jokes. The person that we would frequently marginalize in our friend group. The one when they showed up was always seeming to be the person that we were talking about and giving a hard time because we love them kind of thing. And she came up to me and she said, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. How have you been? And it wasn't a fact-finding mission. She really wanted to know. She really cared about how I was after not seeing me for all of those years. And I felt the Lord scolding me, saying, see, all of that hard time you gave her, all of that distancing, and now she's shaming you by her own kindness and her own love back to you. So we had a nice conversation. We talked for a little while. Lainey and I left, and then afterwards, on the way out, I was still stung a little bit. All of my friends had, you know, basically turned their back, metaphorically and realistically, in reality, to me, and I said, at least I have the church. It was in that moment when I realized that my old life and my old connections did not matter nearly as much as my new life and my new connections with you, my family, here at Grace Bible Church, and my family scattered around the world. Have you ever been someplace, maybe in a foreign country, and you find out that person is a believer, a real believer in the Lord? Immediately, there's a connection with that person. 
When we walk into Grace Bible Church, we feel the first time we've come in here, we can feel like we are outsiders, can't we? We can feel like we are different or that people don't understand us. Because after all, we all want to be part of a crowd. We all want to be part of the in crowd. We all want to be accepted without caveat. It's one of our deepest human desires to be accepted and loved for exactly who we are. Well, Paul in Ephesians is telling us how in reality, even though we don't see it, we are all part of one body. We're united in Christ. And as a result, we should never allow human, in the end, meaningless distinctions separate us. Primarily in the church, but also outside as we deal with others, non-believers, unbelievers. I like to say not yet believers. We need to understand this because Christ is the answer to our problems of disunity and empty that we see around the world today. We try to fix it with legislation, new laws. We try to manhandle our way through. We try to force what we want through. We try to make peace all the time knowing that it's just a compromise of what we believe. Yet Christ is the way. Christ is the only source of true unity. Christ is the one who reconciles us to one another through him. And so today we're in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. Otherwise, we have it up here on the screen. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. In this passage, Paul is talking about, remember last week, we talked about chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, that we are saved by grace, that there's nothing we bring to the equation of our salvation. We are entirely and wholly accepted and saved in Christ by virtue of his unmerited favor toward us. We brought nothing because we had nothing. And as a result, we are saved by that grace created in Christ to do good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What Paul is doing in today's passage is taking that spiritual reality behind the scenes and putting feet on it. He's saying, because that is true, so this is how it should look in here and in the here and now. So read with me. Chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 11. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you... I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong place. Therefore. <laughs> therefore. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and with God, without God in the world. First lesson for this morning out of this passage is we were once all outsiders. There is nobody in this church that was born an insider into the body of Christ. This is something that we really have to get a handle on. I'm so grateful, Michael, that you said what you said because I believe it's, an, it's entirely true, and it's true that GBC does this pretty well. But left to ourselves, without being reminded of the importance of this, we can begin to drift. We drift into what feels comfortable. We drift towards who feels comfortable. 
And we end up forgetting where we came from. We forget that we were all once outsiders. Paul starts his passage with the word therefore, linking the previous part, verses 1 through 10, closely with this. Because that is true, this is how we should live. You might ask me, what is a Gentile? The word Gentile is actually from the Latin. It means clan or tribe or family. In the English, it comes to mean somebody who is of non-Jewish origin. When you read it in the Bible, it means somebody who is non-Jew. Now, what's interesting about this is that this word came to denote somebody more specifically who is non-Judean. Okay, Judah is the, uh, Judea is the area of Israel surrounding Jerusalem. It's in the south of Israel. So what this word be, means, this Gentile word meant, particularly at the time of Paul's writing, was somebody who was by religion, not Jewish, and by ethnicity, not Judean. What does that mean for us today? That means that they were ethnically and religiously different, okay? We live in a world that is pluralistic. We have all these religions, all these ethnicities, and we're better for it in many regards, okay? We talk about America being the melting pot of the world, everyone coming together. In the end, this is speaking to us directly about that. What Paul is saying is that you who were once apart from Christ, you who were different in religion, Different in race. Ultimately, we were once separated from Christ. He calls them the circumcision, or the uncircumcision by who are called the circumcision. Circumcision is, I'm not going to go into detail on this, obviously. You should know what circumcision is if you don't Google it, okay? If you're young, have your parents Google it and then have them tell you. If you're old, you know what, don't Google it. Let's not do that. Ask, ask who? A ask a medical professional. Stephanie is one. She'd be glad to tell you what circumcision is. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> circumcision is a physical right that was given to Abraham. Okay. Abraham was told by God that you shall circumcise the foreskin of your flesh, that a piece of skin would be removed. And what does that signify? That means a separatedness. That means a pulling apart of the flesh, a being distant from the flesh. In the New Testament, we talk about circumcision of the heart. We talk about an attitude and a posture in which we are separated from the world and from the flesh and the desires thereof. That was what it was intended to be. What it became was the entry point into salvation. The Jews had taken a right that was supposed to be symbolic, an outward expression of an inward change in the heart of the believer and made it the way one was righteous before God. The way one could begin to approach God was only and completely through that right. But... Paul in Romans 4 tells us that that circumcision was given before the law was given. And not only that, that circumcision was given after Abraham to who it was given was declared righteous. And what was the basis upon which he was declared righteous? Faith. Faith. 
When we come to believe in who Christ is and we embrace him as our Savior, it's only then that we become baptized, a physical expression or an outward expression of an inward change. Paul, in writing to the Gentiles in Ephesians, tells them, he says, you were once separated, distance. Notice he uses that word separated in reference to circumcision. There's plays on words here. You were once separated, alienated, maybe estranged from Israel. You weren't part of God's people. You didn't know about the covenants that were given to Abraham and Moses. You didn't know. And so you were hopeless and godless. In principle, each and every one of us is included in Paul's description here. We all were once outsiders. We all were once outside of the body of Christ, no matter if we got saved at 8 or 80. It's only by grace, through faith, on the basis of the blood of Christ, that we have been made part of God's family and our spiritual reality and part of our local church here at GBC. We were all once outsiders. But in Christ, we have all been made insiders through his death. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments that are expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You see, Christ's death has implications for the way we should view others who are different than us. I went to, um, on Thursday morning, I went to a prayer breakfast in Chicago. It was a great time. Uh, The Reverend Dr. Charlie Dates spoke there, who was recently installed at the Progressive, I'm going to get this wrong, but the Progressive Baptist Church, I can't remember which one it is. Um, It's a big one. And he spoke a wonderful message. Wonderful. What was so amazing about it is, not just the message, but my time there, is I realized I was sitting in a group that looked a whole lot like what I think Revelation is going to look like at the end. Every nation, tribe, and tongue. Different theological beliefs. Different perspectives on things that we argue about all the time. And yet Christ was glorified. Christ was the center of the message. And it was Christ who bound us together. And so I was able, without caveat, to think in my heart and say, these are my brothers and sisters. Why? Because it's Christ alone who makes us insiders. He died. He earned your seat in this church. If you come to this church or any, and you feel like you're an outsider, if you feel like you don't belong, I want you to know Jesus died to buy the seat you're sitting in that you have every right to be here on the basis of his death on your behalf. And we embrace that by faith and faith alone. They didn't get this in the Ephesian church. They were struggling with this. This was the reason for the letters being written. The hostility that existed between the Jew and the Gentile in this place is ultimately rooted in the law. They were saying, Jews in Ephesus were saying, you must be circumcised in order to be righteous. The Gentiles were saying, no, we don't. 
And so here Paul is settling the differences and saying ultimately that Jews are saved by faith and the Gentiles are saved by faith. When Paul talks about the law, he talks about all of the commandments, primarily the Ten Commandments, but how they're all expressed throughout the Old Testament, particularly in the first five books of the Bible. It caused hostility between Jew and Gentile because Jews believed they were better. I'm speaking in general terms. You need to understand Paul's, what he's writing here. The Jews primarily believed that the law was the centerpiece of everything in God's plan. Without the law, without following the law, without doing the things of the law, you could not be righteous before God. Paul is saying that the law had a purpose and the hostility that it created between Jew and Gentile ultimately needed to go away. And the way it went away was by abolishing the law, abolishing it. When Christ died on the cross, the law was nailed to it with him. When Christ died on the cross, the law, the old covenant, was become, had become null and void. And the new covenant, which we'll celebrate today in communion, was established in Christ's blood, sealed in Christ's blood through the death of Christ. So now the law no longer holds us in captivity. The law no longer holds us in a place where we constantly are in the, you must do this, you must not do that, you got to do this, you can't do that. We are embraced and accepted by Christ through grace because of our faith. When Christ abolished the law, he invalidated it. He rendered it impotent. But ultimately, he fulfilled it. Christ's righteous life here on earth, living a perfect life on our behalf, made the law null and void by dying the sinner's death. In our place. When God sees us, He sees Christ's perfect obedience as if we had obeyed every single point of the law. And we receive that forgiveness. We receive that acceptance through Christ's death. We become insiders through Christ's death. And Jesus did this to make one new people of God. There's no longer Jew and Gentile. There's no longer us and them. There's now believers. There's church. There's body. One people of God, united in Christ because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Finally, just to reiterate, our inclusion is rooted in Christ alone. Verse 17. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. He's saying both to Jew and Gentile. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Jesus preached to those who were far off and those who were near. He preached to both Jew and to Gentile because they both needed it. Those of us who have been in the church for some time, we need to hear the gospel every single day. We can never forget where we came from. 
We must constantly remind ourselves that apart from Christ, we are nothing. That apart from Christ, we cannot be accepted by God. Why? Because our hearts do not want it and our sin creates a separation. When we struggle again and again, when we sin again and again, we tell ourselves, I violated the law, but Christ fulfilled it. And so therefore I repent of what I've done and trust him in what he has done. His obedience through Christ and what he's done, we have full access to God individually and corporately. Everyone here, if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, everyone here has full access to the Father. What does that mean? That means, I love this, I'm not saying don't do this, you don't need to come to me for prayer. My prayer is not more powerful than anybody else's prayer for you if it's done in faith and it's rooted in Christ. We all have full access to the Father. Think about that. No more go-betweens. You want to talk to your heavenly Father? Christ opened the door. Talk to him. Talk to him. We're all declared holy in Christ. Can you imagine that? All of your sin and struggle and fear and anger and hatred, all of those things declared holy, set aside for him. We're all family. We reside in the same spiritual household. There's some beautiful language here that you can't see in English, but what Paul is saying, he's saying at one time you were all aliens. That word means literally those outside of the house, those beside the house. But now you've been brought near, been made insiders. You're in the house. They're in the house. The other day we had people over at the house looking at something and the dogs were going crazy. They were going crazy. But if I walk up to the house and I'm outside the house, they don't bark at me. It's because they know me. There's a difference between being on the outside and being on the inside. We are all in the house of the Lord. Not the physical, the universal church, the spiritual reality that we're part of God's family. We're all essential components to the spiritual temple of God that's being built up together. And everyone is necessary. As I said before, Christ earned your seat. He says that this reality is founded in Christ, that there's a cornerstone, that it started, though, in the Old Testament with the prophets, and it continued in the New Testament with the apostles, but ultimately it all points back to Christ. All of it because of Christ, who is our cornerstone. So what do we do with some of this information? Now that we have an understanding of what the scripture is saying here, what is it that we do to equip ourselves, to allow God to change us, to be able to utilize this truth in our day-to-day? Well, first of all, we embrace on the basis of the cross that alone, those who are coming into the church. That means anybody who comes into this church, should the first question should be, not literally, speaking of, do you know the Lord? If you know the Lord, everyone is on equal footing. Everyone. Human distinctions are meaningless in the eyes of God. What kind of clothes you wear, what city you're from, what your ethnicity is, your assumed level of worldliness, this is a big one. Oh, they must live that kind of life. The language you speak, special needs you may or may not have, 
None of it matters in the eyes of God. None of it. The church is the place, perhaps the only place in all of the world where anyone can come together united by a single idea. Better, a single person. Christ our Lord and Savior. This is how we should show hospitality here at GBC and our own lives. Instead of... Sometimes instead of celebrating people who are on the path to the Lord, celebrating people who have spoken that they have given their lives to Christ, we try to find reasons to discount their experience and their witness. But we should embrace them on the basis of Christ alone. Second, follow or allow the memory of your old life to influence the way you deal with people now. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where you came from. You brought nothing to the equation in your salvation or your current status as a child of God. Everyone was worthy of death and God gave it to us by grace. Yet we forget that. We see our current level of success in some worldly measure or our own abilities to be able to maintain a well-lived life, whatever that means, and then utilize that to create separation between ourselves and others. We were once far off. We were brought near by Christ's blood alone. Alone. You might ask yourself, what if I don't have an old life? What if I don't have an old life? I think a good measure here of coming to honest terms with the sin nature that still functions in you is a good place to start. Recognizing that the sin in us is worse than we often let on. We think that somehow we sanctify this whole way of life by denying our sin, by just stuffing it, putting on a brave face, acting a certain way, and then assuming because everyone else thinks that we're okay, we're okay. But understanding and being willing to face head-on what's actually going inside of us, embracing it, not saying that it's good, saying that it's bad, but being honest about it and allowing that to influence the way that we love and interact with other people. Because if it's going on in us, it's going on in them, we need one another. With humble curiosity, we ask others about their lives. And we look for similarities and not differences. So often we sit in a group of people so easily. It's part of who we are is our sin nature. We'll sit down, listen to other people, and try to find reasons that we are different. Worse, reasons we are better. Instead of listening for similarities. People are people. We have core themes, and we all struggle with the same stuff one way or another. If you were saved young or didn't go through a period of I don't know, significant waywardness. Your life should be a demonstration of gratitude to God for his mercy and grace and protective care for you. But left to yourself, your life would have looked a lot different. Let your reconciliation by Christ serve as the basis for your reconciliation with others. If I 
If Paul could say, I, he's going to say it in the next passage, I, the, the most insignificant of the saints. In other places, he says, the chiefest of sinners. I'm the worst sinner. He knew who was really there. He knew when he looked into his heart what was really going on. If God can reconcile us in Christ, if God can save us, knowing full well who we are and what we are capable of, how much more with gentleness and love should we be embracing others who have come to Christ for his forgiveness? We seek reconciliation with others because we are a child of God, reconciled to the Father by Christ. This does not mean that we restore toxic relationships or go into places where we continue to be hurt or damaged. But reconciliation means an end to hostility. It's a ceasefire. There are resentments we hold against others that if seen in the light of this passage, must die. Some of us carry around resentments towards other people in our lives that are only hurting us. And we believe because we're righteous in our understanding, we know the situation as it really is. Doesn't matter if they're a believer in the Lord, they're dead to me. I've been there. But just as Christ took the first step, so should we. We who were once far off have been brought near. We were once outsiders, are now insiders. God's work of inclusion must impact the way we work out hospitality. Let me give you a definition of hospitality. A spirit of invitation toward those who are far off to a nearness with Christ. A spirit of invitation toward those who are far off to a nearness with Christ. When we invite and embrace others towards us, particularly the church, we are inviting them to come into contact with the risen Lord. We talk about ourselves as the body of Christ and we say it almost metaphorically and too much sometimes. But what if it's much more real than we ever thought? What if when we're engaging with people who do not yet know the Lord, they are actually engaging with the Lord? How would that influence the way that we show hospitality and love and acceptance towards others? We read about Jesus and the way he interacted with people on this earth, people who were profoundly broken, like all of us. How did he interact with them? How did he preach peace to them? He seeks to do it through us as well. But we struggle with this, don't we? I mean, we say we don't. We don't want to say we do, but we do struggle with this, and there's a couple of reasons. The first and foremost, self-righteousness. Perhaps the greatest enemy of the Christian faith, the belief that we can be found righteous in and of ourselves, that we're good enough, that we can perform well enough. We tend to make judgments about others to make ourselves feel better about our own place and reassure ourselves about our own salvation. We'll say, yes, thank you, Lord, for saving me by grace through faith, but as I talked about in the previous weeks, I got it from here. I can continue on. 
It's easier, isn't it, to look at worldly differences than it is to really take a look at yourself. What's crazy about self-righteousness is it's expressed in so many ways. Self-righteousness is a root that's deep in our heart that can come out in a thousand different branches. For instance, legalism. Legalism says that I believe that I'm capable of achieving God's standard. And so I will devalue God's holiness. Do you realize that? When we say that it is capable of living to God's righteous and holy standard, it necessarily requires that we bring that standard down. And so we are devaluing the holiness of God in the process. Or we call this footloose theology. I know what God's word says and I can make it even more righteous. I know it says to not do things that are sexually immoral, so we shouldn't dance. Right? Yeah. This has been a thing. This is a thing. An assumption that because God's word says one thing, it must have implications in all these other areas. And then hold people to that standard instead of the standard that God has set forth alone in his word. We hold people to our standard way too much. What is God asking them to do? What is God calling them to? Trust me. When I preach this, I hear the Spirit say, that's you. That's you. Racism. We believe that there, one way or another, we tell ourselves sometimes that we are inherently better because of the color of our skin, because the nationality that we are, the ethnicity with which we were born with, born in. We did nothing to deserve that. Not only are people made in the image of God and those distinctions are meaningless in his eyes, we somehow take credit for a standard that doesn't exist and then treat people differently. Perfectionism. We think it's possible to be perfect and we're going to hold people to that same standard or the sneakiest one, perhaps, self-deprecation. We devalue ourselves and so exclude ourselves from the life and body of Christ placing value in something other than what God has said. God in love today is telling you, check your pride. Remember that you've contributed nothing to the position you're in before God and it's entirely by the gift of grace. Does your life look like that? If people looked at your life, would they say, oh, it's obvious that person understands and embraces the grace of God to them? Self-righteousness, fear. We don't know them. Xenophobia. It's the antithesis of the idea embodied in the biblical profile of the church leader. One of the requirements of a church leader is that they are a xenophiliac, one who loves strangers, one who embraces the other, bringing them near. It's translated, shows hospitality. Who bring people towards Christ. Fear based on physical appearance, the color of one's skin. When I was not living a good life, I would go into not good neighborhoods. And because I was white, people were afraid of me too. So let me tell you, it goes both ways. Christ died for that distinction. And it's meaningless in his eyes. 
We conflate the news and what we see every day on the 24-hour news cycle with who we meet day to day. I just saw a story about a person who looks like this. Now I'm interacting with one who looks the same. That person must be bad. We need to be honest about this stuff. I mean dig deep because it's in us. It needs to be covered by the blood of Christ. We can't forget where we came from. Tattoos. That person must be a sailor or a prisoner. (laughs) Or both. Jesus saw the heart of a man. He sees the heart of the man. He doesn't judge. Neither should we. We're afraid of the opinion of others. What will others think of me? I remember there were times... um, when I was locked up, I, I was friends with everybody. <laughs> everybody. I tried to float because I, I, I tried my best to live like this. Not perfect. Still am not perfect, but I tried. And so I garnered respect from lots of different places within um, jails and, and prisons. And oftentimes, guys of other ethnicities would come to me in secret to ask questions. I'm like, why are we hiding in the corner? You're asking me about Jesus. It's because the guys will give me a hard time. And sure enough, I talked to them about the Lord. I see the Spirit doing something in the heart of these men. I know Jesus is calling these men. And then as they walk away, I hear them, oh, you think you're better than us now. Oh, you're over there with Doc. That's what they call me. Oh, you're over there with Doc, getting smart. They were afraid to be seen with me because of the opinion of others. We do the same. We know what's going on in the culture with transgenderism, homosexuality, all of that. You name it, all of that. Now, you're in downtown Elmhurst on a street corner talking to someone in that community and someone else in the church walks by. What's your heart's response? What are they going to think of me? What does Jesus think of you? (laughs) What does Jesus think of you? Self-righteousness, fear, presumption. Presumption means to make a decision based on the belief that you have enough evidence to make an educated guess. I see someone over there. I've interacted a little bit. I get a dog whistle word come out of them. We know dog whistles. I hear a word come out of them. They must be that. And it taints every interaction that we have with that person afterwards. The truth is about, our, is about human beings and about God's creation is that we are wonderfully complex. Wonderfully complex. And that when we interact with others who believe differently or might have a perspective on something, that's not all of them. That's not all of them. We should take the time to get to know people. We might be surprised about what we actually find. When we go out in the world and we live our day-to-day, we need to live a life that carries the message of the gospel of peace that we were once outsiders brought inside, that we were once far off have been brought near by grace and grace alone. 
It starts with us. The church should be inclusion specialists. If there is anybody in the world who should know how to bring those who are far off in and to engage them and to include them into, it should be the church because of Christ. We must model gospel inclusive behavior in our day to day lives from a place of repentance. We lead the way in our speech, our deeds, and our attitudes, and we embrace visitors into our spheres of influence here at GBC and out in our everyday life. We surely have ample opportunity. When people come by you, do they feel Christ calling them? That's my prayer. Today I had a meeting. We talked a little bit about outreach and stuff like that. And, and, I've, been, and I've been thinking a lot about outreach. What does our outreach look like? And I'll tell you where I am right now. Subject to revision. It is my heart when I get up here that you fall so in love with Jesus that you cannot help be light in him. You cannot help talking about him. You cannot help loving like him. You cannot help seeing others the way he sees them. Because if I tell you just go out and be nice to people who are different, we'll overcompensate, we'll be weird, things are going to get crazy, it's not going to work out. Love Jesus. Seek Jesus. When you're home, Lord, where are, there you are. There's a video on social media of a guy. He's probably in his 60s or 70s. It's one of my, just, I, sitting on a couch, he's folding clothes. You can tell he's blind. He also has a developmental disability. He's listening to gospel music. So he's singing some gospel music and he's folding clothes. And all of a sudden he says, Oh, there you are, Jesus. And I believe our Lord was standing there. That man loves Jesus. What if we love Jesus like that? What if we realized that we did nothing and that he loved us so much he brought us near, made us insiders? How would our message change? How would the way we loved others change? That's my prayer. My prayer is that we just love Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we admit, Lord, that uh, there are times when we take credit for our being here. Subtly, we admit, Lord, that it's, it's not overt, but it's there nonetheless. Forgive us, Lord, when we forget that we were once outsiders, that once we were separated from you, that we were once alienated from your people. We confess this, Lord. And we confess that we still live with the ability that, or live with the idea that we have come close to you. No, you have brought us near. Lord, give us the, the memory the spiritual eyes to remember the time, Lord, that when we had no hope, that when we were 
without God in the world. And we thank you, Lord, because of your goodness, your love, and your grace that we who were once far off, once separated from you, were brought near by your blood only. The death that you died on the cross on our behalf opened the door that we would be pulled to you. Remind us, Lord, that we cling to you by grace alone. We thank you, Lord, for the peace that you have brought to us. The hostility that is now ended because of what you've done, abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. That no longer, Lord, is there just do this or do that in order to be found righteous, but ultimately our righteousness is in you alone, for we never could fulfill the law. We thank you, Jesus, that you've created us new in you, making a new man, a new body, that we've been reconciled to God through you and through your death on the cross. Lord, just as you preach to those who are near and those who are far off, we pray, Lord, that you would give us the power, the desire, and the opportunity to preach the gospel through our thoughts, words, and deeds, through our attitudes, the way we love others, Lord, that they too can have access to the Father in the Spirit, through you. Help us remember, Lord, that we were once aliens and estranged, but no longer. And so we are on a mission as your ambassadors, Lord, to invite people into your household. Lord, as we read your word, as we pray, as we live this life that you called us to live, help us, Lord, to know that you are the cornerstone, that everything is rooted and founded in you. We pray, Father, that you would give us the desire to live as the holy temple, your holy temple, filled with your spirit in which Christ reigns. We thank you for GBC. We thank you, Lord, for this local church body that's being built together in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you found it in your good pleasure to dwell among us in your spirit. We pray that we would never take that for granted. Lord, as we come together as a body, may we know, may we see, may the eyes of our hearts be enlightened to grasp the fact that you are with us. Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you, Lord, for this day and for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would give us conviction where we need it and the power to change, the power to be changed by you because of the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.